You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. In 1952, American swimmer Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly, and she could hardly see the boats accompanying her. But still, she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in a boat alongside her encouraged her, cheered her on, told her that she was so close and that she could make it. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out of the water. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than half a mile away. At a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. How many times in life do you and I end up focusing on the fog because we can't see the shore? How many times have we been so close to victory that we can taste it only to lose it at the very last second? I bet if we recall a time right now when this happened to us, we can still feel the sting. We all want to succeed. We all want to come out on top. I mean, I don't know anybody that wakes up every morning and goes, I think I want to try my hardest to be mediocre today. Or I can't wait to give it everything I've got so I can lose. Winning feels good. Losing feels bad. It's like the great philosopher Ricky Bobby said, if you ain't first, you last. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to win, to be victorious, or to feel good, because that is totally natural. But what happens when we are faced with a situation where we have to decide if we make the choice between doing the right thing and doing the easy thing, because how we win is not very clear. When we have an epic fight with our spouse, and we have to decide if we are going to apologize first, or if we're going to give them the silent treatment again today. There's the easy thing, and then there's the right thing. When our kid forgot their homework at home for the umpteenth time, and we have to decide to stop what we are doing right now and take it to them, or let them get a zero. When our coworker uses us as a supportive sounding board, and we have to decide whether or not we use that information to our advantage to get ahead, or if we value our relationship more. Guys, when your super hot date had one too many drinks and at the end of the night she insists that you come in, there's the easy thing and then there's the right thing. Ladies, when you're not really into that guy and you know he's really into you and Valentine's Day is like in two days, and you don't want to be the only one at the office that doesn't get flowers. There's the easy thing, and then there's the right thing. And most of the time, we know what the right thing is. And unfortunately, most of the time is not necessarily the easiest thing. Last week, some of us took the first step to doing the right thing by surrendering that thing, that thing that really matters. And the next logical question is, what now? 
So today we're going to continue to look at Joshua's story to see what he did after he surrendered. So if you recall from last week in 1400 BC, Joshua was about to lead the Israelites into battle to take the city of Jericho. And as he was scouting it out, he had an encounter with the angel of the Lord's army where it was made clear that God was not there to take sides. He was there to take over. That is when Joshua took off his shoes and surrendered authority to God. It was his first step to doing the right thing. But Joshua still had work to do. He had to lead his troops into battle to fight for this land, and it was going to be epic. Scripture describes the gates of Jericho being securely barred and no one went in or out of the city. Archaeological reports show that the city was literally surrounded by two six-foot-thick mud and brick walls that were over 40 feet high. Can you imagine how intimidating that must have been? It was the first battle that they were set to fight that Joshua would lead, and it was only three days after coming out of wandering in the desert for 40 years. I mean, three days isn't what I would classify as much time to plan and train his army, especially after they had been slaves for hundreds of years. So they were a little technologically behind. That would have been like last weekend, you getting voluntold at the last minute to host a massive Super Bowl party, but all you own is one of those black and white turn knob TVs with the rabbit ears that you have to put foil on the ends of to get reception. Are you tracking? Like, this was not going to go over very well. And after having surrendered and letting God take over, we can easily see how Joshua could have felt like the weight of the world was pressing down on his shoulders. And as if leading an underprepared, unequipped army into battle wasn't enough, what God said next could have had Joshua saying, uh, como what? Listen to what God instructed. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns into the front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. God gave specific instructions to Joshua, which I'm sure he was thankful for. But let's unpack this and really think about what God was asking Joshua to do. Now remember, Joshua was an experienced military leader. He knew what it would take to win. He knew how to fight, but after letting God take over, God told him to march around the city once with all the armed men for six days. That literally meant, get up, get 40,000 men to put on their battle gear and their armor, go down to the city that you're going to attack. But instead of attacking, take an hour to an hour and a half walk. Then go home, get some rest, and get ready to do it again tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day. And the next day, and the next day. Folks, 
Joshua had been leading for less than half a week, following the rock star leader Moses that brought plagues and freed the nation from slavery and parted the Red Sea and was a boss. And the first thing God told Joshua to do was to lead his troops into what seems like a suicide mission and told them to take a walk. Now, I'm no military strategist, but that's a ridiculous strategy. I'm sure that's not in the handbook of how to win a battle, and it's definitely not in the art of war. But it just got crazier. Because then God said, on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with priests blowing ram's horns and then shout. You see, God didn't say to blow a long silver horn, which typically signified a battle call. You know, like, bum, ba bum. No, he said to blow a ram's horn. A ram's horn was used at that time as a celebratory horn. It signified an announced victory. So what do you think Joshua would have thought about that? Maybe that this could have come across as a little presumptuous? Maybe insane? I mean, we can imagine Joshua could have been questioning what God was asking him to do because, I mean, if on the off chance, 40,000 men had gone unnoticed walking around the city for the first six days. Now on the seventh day, they were told to walk around the city for about 10 hours straight, blowing loud horns that symbolize that victory has already been won. And if that isn't enough, when they're done walking, they were told to turn to this ginormous wall that's still standing 40 feet up in the air and to shout at it. I'm Joshua, that's just a little hard for me to digest. This went against all that he knew how to win. This goes against all rational thought. For Joshua, this went against everything that he learned about how you lead your troops into battle. This is when Joshua was faced with the difficult decision to do the easy thing and engage in battle by leaning on his own experience and how he knew how to do it or to do the right thing and trust in God and look like a fool walking around the promised city of Jericho. God literally instructed Joshua to walk in circles. For Joshua to do the right thing and to walk meant that he had to wholeheartedly trust in God. And I believe that the same decision that Joshua faced 3,400 years ago is the same decision that you and I face each day today. Are we going to walk? Are we going to trust God? Or are we going to try to fight our battles and break our barriers on our own? That, in order to answer, in order to answer that question, we have to figure out what does walking look like for you. For some, you're confused. You're not even sure what the right thing and the easy thing are. You're still in shock and overwhelmed by the big problems and the high walls that you're facing in your life right now. Your Jericho is there, but you have no idea what to do. You're still at the point of surrendering. For others, you have clarity on what you're facing, but now you have to decide to make the right choice 
or the easy choice. When your kid is getting bullied at school and no one has a solution. When your kid is the bully at school and you're at a loss of what to do. When your marriage is on shaky ground and you continue to drift further and further apart. When you're unemployed and about to lose everything, including your sanity. When you got a diagnosis and you're reeling from how your life is about to change. When your aging parents start to require full-time care and your siblings aren't pulling their weight. When anxiety and depression has you surrounded by a constant dark cloud and you can't see your way out of it right now. When you test positive for an unplanned pregnancy and now you're stuck with facing what next. For others, you've already started walking but it's getting hard to keep going. You know you took the high road, you did the right thing, you didn't do the easy thing, and it's just not working out. It's not paying off. Things actually got harder, they didn't get easier. How many of you are walking right now? I know I am. So what do we do? We're not Joshua. We're not some biblical warrior, the leader of a nation. There hasn't been an angel that has come to tell us exactly what we're supposed to do. How can you and I trust God to keep walking? How do we know that continuing to walk is actually the right thing and what God wants us to do today? We know this because Jesus walked too. When he knew he was going to be uh, be betrayed, arrested, beaten, humiliated, and crucified. The night before, scripture tells us, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then as if once wasn't enough, he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And as if two times wasn't enough. So he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. You see, Jesus asked God, his father, if there was another way. He asked for any alternate option than the one that he was being asked to face. He asked if there was an easier way because he didn't want to have to endure the long, pain-filled, hard one. Jesus was perfect, and he had his moment. That means it is okay for us to have our moment, to question, to ask if there is another way. You see, just like us, Jesus had the choice to do the easy thing, but he knew what the right thing was, and he knew it was going to be a long, hard road. But he chose to trust God our Father, and he kept walking. Jesus surrendered to God's will, and he walked that torture-filled path all the way to the cross. He didn't take the easy way out. He didn't focus on the fog or stop a half mile short of the shore. No, he kept walking for you and for me. He knew not to stop until he reached the shore. 
until he was victorious. And because Jesus kept walking, he gave you and I the power to keep walking ourselves. His death, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven gave us the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us today. It is where our strength to keep walking in order to break down our barriers comes from. You see, it is not about what you and I can do, but it's all about what God has already done. If you are tired of walking in your own strength today and have never received the supernatural strength our Father gives us, I want to give you that opportunity right now. It's free. There's no strings attached. There's no checklist. There's no line to wait in. There's no rules to follow. All you have to do is believe. If you are ready to begin a relationship with God right now and make the most significant decision of your eternity, in your heart and in your mind, pray a prayer like this one with me. God, I realize my imperfection and my sin. I am choosing right now to believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins, that I would no longer be separated from you and have eternal life. If you just prayed that prayer, or you have been a Christ follower for years, I want to tell you, no matter what your Jericho is, no matter how high the wall is, no matter how thick the barrier is, or how thick the fog, don't stop short of the shore. No, instead, do what Joshua did. Do what Jesus did. The same power that is within them is within you. So I want you to keep walking. Keep walking the hard road towards reconciliation in your marriage. Keep walking through unemployment as you wait for the right job opportunity. Keep walking the path through the good days and the bad days after your diagnosis. Keep walking the road towards sobriety and freedom. Keep walking through the cloud of anxiety and depression. Keep walking because God loved us so much that he sent his only son to this earth. Keep walking because Jesus lived a perfect life. Keep walking because Jesus loved us so much that he kept walking all the way to that cross. Keep walking because Jesus was crucified. He died and he was buried. Keep walking because he rose again. Keep walking because on that day, death, was defeated. Keep walking because victory has already been declared. Keep walking because that victory is free. And keep walking because that victory is yours. When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. 
God did what he said he was going to do. God keeps all of his promises. And just like God delivered Jericho into Joshua's hand because he obeyed, he can deliver victory into your hands when you keep walking. Friends, there's a reason that every single week we want you to trust God with every aspect of your life. Because when God takes over, you will live in victory. He can't lose, which means you can't lose because victory has already been won. So together, let's keep walking. Let's rejoice with a celebratory sound, declaring our victory and keep walking until our barriers are broken and our walls collapse. So Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for the walls that you're breaking down right now. We thank you for the walls that you're going to break down in the future. We're so incredibly overwhelmed by how you love us because we continue to put up barrier after barrier up in between you and us and you still chase after us. You still seek our hearts on a regular basis, and it's nothing that we deserve, but you're still there to love us anyways. And we're so grateful for that. We love you so much, Lord. And we pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for sending him. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.